I want to just talk for a few moments on uh, when Jesus finds us and when we find him and, and that relationship uh, intersects and begins to build momentum, everything changes. And there are certain times in life where uh, we kind of lose our way or uh, we get busy um, we've got things that uh, distract us, and it's kind of like we need to recalibrate and, um, and, and find our purpose, the reason why God put us here. And, and when that happens, uh, we begin to move from success to significance. And significance is what all of us uh, want and crave. Um, I, I was thinking about this while I was uh, studying. Um, there's going to be a day if, if Jesus doesn't come first. The Bible says that uh, Jesus is going to come out of the sky in a twinkling of an eye. And uh, everyone who has a relationship with him will meet him in the air. But if I die before that happens, um, I want my life to have been so significant that the room is packed out. Does anyone want a packed out funeral? I want it packed out and I want people crying. <laughs> I want people bawling. Uh, do you know I read this uh, in, in Britain, you can, uh, there is a service that you can, uh, for those of you that are entrepreneurs, we may need this here in America, um, but you, there is a service provided that they will come to your funeral and cry for you. You can pay them. I mean, you can say just hypothetically, Toby, hey, Adam has passed away. Nobody's going to come and nobody's going to cry for sure. Um, will you please send 20 criers? And they will come to the funeral and cry. And I just want you to don't slam it because I'm doing it. I want criers. I, I want to feel like my life mattered and I'm not leaving it up for chance, okay? I want some bawling people um, at my funeral. Um, there's just something intrinsic of, about all of us where we want our life to make a difference. Um, for those of us who work, we have a job. You know, you, you want to feel like, hey, if I'm going to come here every day and give you 40 hours of my week on the clock and another 15 hours a week on the beltway, if I'm going to come to work, I want to feel like I'm valuable. You know, they did a poll recently on what is the most important thing an employer can offer you uh, at your uh, place of work. And the number one thing, the number one need that every employee wants the most is to feel significant. Now, some of you are like, yeah, well, I'll get over feeling significant. Just pay me good. <laughs> Just pay me good. That's how you can make me feel significant. But they want to feel significant. This is what we want. Those of us who are parents... You know, we want to feel like, hey, after I get done raising my kids, I've done a good job. They're not on the news, running around with a mask on their face, stopping at stop and goes. Um, I, I love getting on the Drudge Report and reading the news and, and, and seeing things that are going on in the world. And, and I read about this guy who went into a stop and go, robbed the stop and go with a mask on, a gun, and he left his wallet on the counter. 
<laughs> What's wrong with you, man? You don't even do bad good. What's wrong with you? Um, but we want to feel significant. We want to feel like, hey, if I've got one swing at this thing, if I've got 92 years, I, I want to do good. I, I mean, if I'm going to step up to the plate, I want to go park. You know, one of my favorite things about Roger Clemens when he played for the Houston Astros is, uh, obviously he was a great pitcher, uh, but he would get up to bat, and, and I'll never forget when the Houston Astros played the Chicago White Sox in the World Series a few years ago, uh, we were down 3-0 again, um, and, and there was two people on base, and it was the bottom of the ninth or top of the ninth. I can't remember what it was, and Roger Clemens was up. And we all know pitchers can't hit a ball if you, just, if you, if you throw in a, a meatball. They still won't hit it. Um, but he got up there, and I never laughed so hard in my life. Because here's Roger Clemens, and that ball's coming in. And he is not going to strike out like this. That's not how he's going to strike out. He's swinging so hard. He's either going to strike out or it's going to be a grand slam. It's one or the other. He is not going to hit a single. He's not going to hit a double. I mean, he'd swing so hard, the pitcher's cap went. (laughs) He is going to go, I'm going for it. If if we're going to live, if we're going to bat, if we have to work, if we're going to be married, if we're going to be parents, We want to be good. Are you with me? We want to be good. You know, we're going to mess up. We're going to have mistakes. We're going to have regrets. That's just part of life. But at the end of the day, let's do this well. And uh, I want to talk about this guy named Zacchaeus in the Bible. Uh, He was incredibly successful. And then all of a sudden, his heart began to transfer from just wanting success to wanting to be significant. So let's dive straight into it. It's in uh, Luke chapter 19, and it reads like this, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named, a man, there was a man, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if you and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. 
In that last sentence, let's read that sentence right there together on three, real loud. One, two, three. For the Son of Man... Let's say it two more times. One, two, three. For the... And this is the last time, we're just a little bit louder. One, two, three. Jesus, when he came to earth, he had laser focus on why I'm coming here. If he is going to step out of heaven and put on flesh, if he's going to do this, he's laser focused on what he's here to do. I am going to come find people who are lost. I'm going to look for them and I'm going to find them. Now, very interesting scenario here. Zacchaeus was a tax collector uh, for the Roman guard. Now, the way you become a tax collector is you apply for it just like any other job. And the way you do it is kind of a bidding war. You tell them, hey, if you hire me, I promise I'm going to bring in at least this much tax. And so a lot of times what they would do is they would set up their booth just on the side of the Sea of Galilee, for example, and they would wait for fishermen to come off the sea. Then they would step up and the boat docks and they'd walk up to the boat and they'd say, how many fish did you catch? So, well, we've caught 22 fish, okay? The government, they want two. Now, the way the government arranged it was, as long as you give us what you promised, you can take whatever you want above that. That's why people hated tax collectors. That'd be like the IRS coming to you saying, hey, we want 25%, um, but hey, my, my wife and I want to go to dinner tonight, so go ahead and make it 26%. 25 will go to the government, and I'll take one. People hated tax collectors. And so, uh, so that's what they would do. And so he became incredibly wealthy, and if he became incredibly wealthy, that means he robbed a lot of people. That's two fish for the government, and I'll take two for me. Come here, sir. Three fish for the government, three fish for me. Five fish for the government, five for me. And it doesn't matter what it is. They'd walk up, and people that were harvesting wheat, they'd say, okay, I need 12 gallons a week for the government, and make it another five for me. People hated tax collectors. But he was incredibly wealthy, and he was very good at his job. He was robbing people. But something happened to this guy. We're not sure what it is. The Bible doesn't say what it is. At a certain point, he went from just wanting to be successful to now I want to be significant. I want to be significant. And so there's four things that Zacchaeus did. The first thing uh, that he did is that he pursued. Uh, he, I'm sorry, he recognized his need. He recognized it. He, he, he looked in the mirror and he realized, I am not happy where I am. I thought I would be happy doing what I'm doing, but I'm not. It's an interesting thing when we hit that point. Maybe some of you can relate to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was basically saying, I thought at this stage of my life, I would be happier than I am right now. I thought at this stage, 
We don't know if Zacchaeus was married. It's a strong possibility. Um, Let's just fill in some blanks. Give me some poetic liberty. I thought my marriage would be better when I dreamed about being married. I dreamed that it would be better than it is. When I imagined having kids, I imagined having a great relationship with them, but I don't. I thought that if I had a lot of money, it would just fix everything. Um, I can't remember uh, what star it was. I, I quoted it on the church Facebook. I can't remember who it was, but it was somebody. Uh, maybe one of you guys can remind me, but he said, uh, he goes, I wish everybody could become rich and famous so that they could realize that that doesn't fix everything. And so here, Zacchaeus, he hit that point in his life where he's saying, man, I am recognizing my life is not where I hoped that it would be. And so then he backs up and he sees himself in full reality. Now, let me take a sidebar just to do a visual here. Um, does anyone, is, uh, raise your hand if you're familiar with Febreze. Anyone here familiar with Febreze? Uh, I read a great, uh, I, I'm reading this book called Habits right now. Thank you, Cleet, for mentioning it to me. It's a secular book. It's not a Christian book, but I can't put the book down. Um, it talks about how people develop habits, why they develop develop habits, how you start habits, how you continue habits, etc., etc., etc. But one of the chapters of the book, he points out, uh, he uses Febreze as an example. And uh, Procter and Gamble uh, were the ones that uh, produced Febreze, but the way it happened was actually on accident. Uh, There was a scientist Uh, I just imagine him downstairs in the basement, but uh, there was a scientist working on a product. Febreze was not the product that they had in mind. Well, he came home one day and his wife said to him, honey, have you stopped smoking? And he said, no, I haven't stopped smoking. She goes, because I don't smell any smoke on you. And the light bulb, ding, went on. He raced back to work the next morning And he started looking at this product that he's been experimenting with. And he realized that this product takes away odor. So, again, he grabs the red phone from the basement and he calls headquarters. Guys, I I found something here that's phenomenal. They come down... from 170 floors up uh, uh, all the way down to the basement and and here's this guy with goggles on and that's just how I imagine it and um, you know a a yellow jumper suit and and he's he's stirring something in a pot and you know he's got I got a pot and they come (laughs) knock three times what's the password and so they, they come in And he says, I don't know what this is, but it takes odor away. So the guys at Procter & Gamble, they they flip out. And so they pick out three cities to do a case study. Uh, They picked out Denver, they picked out Phoenix, and I I can't remember the the other city that they, they picked out. And they dumped like, I don't know, millions of dollars into the marketing campaign. Boom, 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 millions of dollars. It takes odor away, takes it out of all fabrics, couches, uh, carpet, clothes, etc. They paid supermarkets to build a tower 
of Febreze, the minute you walk through the door, you see this big tower of Febreze. And then they sat back and just stared at their account and just waited for the money to come in. And nothing happened. And then another week went by, and another week went by, and then a couple months went by. And then they realized that all their numbers have parentheses around it, <laughs> which means <laughs> they're all in the negative. And so now people are about to get fired. Um, and so one guy backed up and said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we get rid of Febreze, let's bring in a, a, psycho, a, a psychotherapist, a sociologist. Let's go study people and find out why people aren't buying this stuff. So they walked into this lady's house. Uh, she was just one of the case studies, and she had like 15 cats. don't know what to do with that. I closed the book when I was reading it and I was like, oh my gosh, dear Lord, help this woman. But she had like 15 cats and one of the people on the team with Procter and Gamble, she walked in and she almost puked. And so they introduced Febreze to her and she was like, yes, they gave her bottles. Then they went to another lady who couldn't get a date to save her life because she worked at a zoo and part of her section, she worked with the skunks. True story. I mean, I was reading it right in the book. I'm like, Mike, that's a job to quit right there. And so all of her clothes would just reek her whole house. She'd go on dates. Eventually the date would smell. So you smell like a skunk. Don't take it personal. But, and she said, I can't keep a date. So they introduced Febreze. And so they keep on introducing it. And lo and behold, they'd come back to these people two or three months later. And they would say, how's the Febreze going? And they'd say, oh, yeah, Febreze, I forgot about that. And they'd go under their sink, and I'd say, I know it's in here somewhere, and they'd pull it out, and it's a full bottle. And the Procter and Gamble guys are like, why didn't you use it? And it became obvious that people, and, and, and this is what it said in the book, they're nose blind. In other words, they can't smell their own stank. So you and I walk into their house and are like, oh, dear God. And they're like, what? <laughs> so Procter & Gamble's coming in like, oh, dear God, dear Lord. And they're like, what, what, what? People can't smell it. And so they back them and like, what are we going to do? 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 We got thousands and thousands of bottles. We've got a big tower of Febreze and every H-E-B and tech. What are we going to do? So they backed up and they said, let's just watch ladies clean the house. Let's just watch them. So they sit down like most men do and they just. Yeah, yeah, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. And then all of a sudden, this one lady did something that all of a sudden they went. She walks into a bedroom. She pops the pillows. She lays it down. She tucks, she rubs her hand on top of an already finished bed. She backs up, she looks at the room, it's nice and clean. She grabs the Febreze and she goes. And they saw her smile and they went, oh, that's it. 
And so they go back to headquarters. They go back down into the basement. Arr, arr, arr. The guy's down there and they said, talk to us about the chemicals and, the, and, and, and how you combined it. You know, all these molecules and blah, 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 and other cules. And, and he says, bottom line is that this product, it doesn't smell like anything. The only thing it does is it kills what stinks. I said, okay, we got to change it. Make it smell good. And we're going to change the campaign. Instead of killing odor, now watch this. Spring renewal freshens fabrics. And so now, and the one that I have is called uh, lavender. So they put a lavender scent into it. And so now everyone's like, lavender, (laughs) lavender, lavender. Oh, it stinks so bad. Lavender. (laughs) And they back up and said, okay, everybody wants to smell lavender, lavender. Just killing the stink didn't work because they couldn't smell their own stink. Zacchaeus, see, some of you are like, can I get a bottle because... Zacchaeus, uh, he was a man that could be honest with himself. He was a man that said to himself, my life is falling apart. I don't know what's going on here, but if Jesus is real, I need him. And then number two kicks in, he actually pursues him. This is a big deal because number one, he's recognizing the need. But number two is he pursues him. Now, there's this um, uh, dilemma that, uh, that, that most of us have. I know I do. I don't want to pull you into my boat. But it's called the knowing-doing gap. Um, for instance, uh, I've got a friend of mine named Nick. Um, if I didn't love Nick, I'd hate Nick. Um, when he takes his shirt off, I get mad. Do you know what I mean? It's like he breathes and it's just a six-pack. When he turns around, his back is like this V and it rolls in. When I give him a hug, I can feel there's, there's separation. It's like it rolls in. Or it's like I just if I didn't love him, I'd hate him. You know what I mean? And, and I always say to him, man, how do you get in such good shape? You know what he says? He's like, man, I go to the gym and I work out. And I kind of watch what I eat. And every time he says that, I always look at him like I've never heard that before. Really? <laughs> Last Friday, I don't know if she's here. I brought her to church. I love bringing people to church. I invited four families this week to come to church. And if you're here, I promise you we'd go to lunch. And I meant it. Uh, Adam, can you come to lunch? I need you to pay for it. Uh, so. <laughs> Um, but I brought, I, I met a nutritionist last week from uh, Isaiah and Jessica, and I sat down with her and I said, okay, here's a problem. I've gained 10 pounds in the last 12 weeks. It's not good. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out in just a matter of time, I'm going to be a wobble weeble. <laughs> and so she goes, okay, this is what we're going to do. So I pay her $100 to build me a nutrition plan. And this is what it said. Stay away from fried food. Stay away from sweets. 
stay away from, stay with grilled food, stick with vegetables and fruits. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank, no, honest, I love you. I get in the car, I start heading home, and I went, I just paid a lady $100 to tell me something that I learned when I was like 17. So you mean to tell me that when I baptize my chicken fried steak and cream gravy, that's not good? <laughs> really? You gotta be kidding. I thought chicken was protein. <laughs> Bless the chicken fried steak in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Then the cobbler, there's cobbler, you gotta do it right. It's gotta be just enough crust with just enough peach, with just enough enough blue bell. And you it's like, ah, I can't, I can't eat that anymore. Really? It's like, really? Of course I knew that. I knew that. You knew that. Everybody knows that. But there's a knowing doing gap. I know I shouldn't be eating this. I know this is not good. <laughs> Hello. Uh, yes, I'll take some water with a few lemons, a straw, and uh, salads. Some chicken fried steak. <laughs> Cream gravy. Slap it good in the back before I bring it out. All right. There's a knowing doing gap. I know what I need to do. Zacchaeus didn't have this problem. He saw I have an issue. My life is not going to be fulfilling. If you've ever struggled with depression, you, if you've never struggled with depression, you don't know what this feels like. I have, so I know what it feels like. Depression is just a hollow feeling. It's like, why am I getting up? Why am I living? What's the point? Zacchaeus said, I've got to do something. So he actually started pursuing Jesus. And then number three, he received. What I love about that passage of scripture, which I did not see until I just read it just now. I studied all week and I didn't see it until I just read it just a few minutes ago. Jesus was walking down the road. And the Bible says that he looks up into the tree and he calls Zacchaeus by name. It didn't say that they made an introduction. It didn't say that they talked. It called them by name. And you know why that resonates with me? Is that he knew Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus knew him. He knew him. He's been watching him. He knew about the problems. He knew about the situation. He knows about it. And I just feel the presence of God right now. So if it's okay, can I just say on a very personal level, he knows about your situation. He knows about your marriage. He knows about your finances. He knows. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Men pray different than women. Women have a gift to be able to pray for 15, 20 minutes and can can dial in emotionally right off the bat, it seems like. You know, I, I grew up in prayer rooms listening to women pray, Dear God, I love you, Lord. Here's how a man prays. I need $200 by Thursday. <laughs> Amen. 
Oh, man, praise. You know, it's almost like God looked at Zacchaeus and said, I heard the one-sentence prayer. I heard the prayer in your head that you didn't want to say out loud. I saw the, I, I see where you're at. And then he exceeds his expectations. And can I just say for all of you, especially if you're new here, you, you just, you, you, I don't know if I want to jump in with both feet because if God disappoints me, I don't know what to do at that point. When you go all in, what you receive in return is more than what you anticipated. He looks at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, yes, sir. I want to come over your house. Now, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Let's not talk here in front of a thousand people. Come to my house and let me tell you what's going on. Let me walk you into my son's bedroom and open up the bedroom and show you what's going on in there. Come to my home. He wants to come to your house. He wants to find out what's really going on. You know, in the woodlands, you can hide a lot behind trees. He wants to step behind the trees, open up the door and come in and look around. Absolutely. He wants to come over. He wants to get involved. He wants to be part of the family. He wants to sit down and he wants to hear you say, I need $200 by Friday. He wants to connect. And then here's the, the, the very last thing that happened in the Zacchaeus story is Zacchaeus began to share. See, you cannot be a follower without being a fisher. See, there's something that happens to every person who follows Jesus that you, you have a mandate, you have an assignment to go share what you know. See, some of you brought a friend, and if you are that friend, let me just say, the person who brought you, brought you they found a place where they really get encouraged and they really get lifted up and they wanted to share it with you, which is one of the biggest compliments in the whole world. And so he goes out and he shares it. He starts fishing for men. He starts trying to pull men from their situation. And this, my friends, is the biggest, most important thing in Jesus' world are people who don't know him. It's the most important thing in the whole world. Jesus told three stories. The first story he told uh, in Luke chapter 15, he says, there was a guy who had a hundred sheep. One of them was missing. And he left the 99 to go find that one sheep right then and there because at the top of Jesus's list are not the 99 that are nice and safe that are just looking for more food. The top of the list are the people that do not have a relationship with them. And then he tells another, he goes, I got another story. I got another story. Forget the sheep, forget the sheep. Coins. There was a lady that was in her house and she lost one of the coins. And she stayed up all night long looking for that coin. For Jesus, we read it at the beginning. This is the number one priority. You could call her up and say, Aunt Betty, you got a million coins in your purse. Chill. I want that coin. 
Third story. There was only three in Luke chapter 15. It was about a man who had two sons. And one of the kids was lost. The only thing that consumed him was not the boy that was sitting in the lazy boy asking for another slice of pizza. It was the one that was lost. Um, I've got a Sicilian father and uh, him and I have watched The Godfather about a thousand times. About a thousand times. He's... He is just, uh, when somebody like him gets upset or mad, hide the women and children. I remember I was nine years old and um, I've got two brothers. Uh, One of them is my brother, Jonathan, who works here at the church. So he must have been seven at the time. And then I have another brother. His name is Nathan. So he must have been four. And I can't remember where we were because I was so young. But we were in somewhere big, so it was like a, a Walmart. Of course, in those days, it was probably a, a Woolworths or a, uh, a Kmart or something. I don't know. But it was this big um, store. And me and my brother Jonathan, the next one down, were following my dad. And my dad turned around and said, where's Nathan, the youngest? And my brother Jonathan and I were like, I don't, I don't know. And my dad shifted into a gear that only parents know about. He said, where's Nathan? Nathan! Nathan! He's yelling. Nathan! You know, parents could care less what people think when they're looking for their kid. Nathan! He's yelling. Nathan! He whispered. Nathan! At that moment... I know my dad loves me. And, and Jonathan knows that he's loved as well. But at that moment, the only thing that mattered was Nathan. Nathan! Nathan, Nathan, had I had the audacity to say, Dad, I'm getting kind of hungry. Can we go get some lunch? My dad would have snapped my neck. It's not that he doesn't love me. It's not that he doesn't care. It's not that he's not concerned about how hungry I am. But at the top of the list, and there is no second, at the top of the list is my brother Nathan because he's the one that's lost. And while Jesus was teaching, he said, this is the primary reason why I'm here. Let me tell you three quick stories about a sheep that was lost. I went to go look at it right now. About a coin that was lost. About a son that was lost. That's the number one thing. And Zacchaeus was most important to him. Not the people that already knew about him. They were people that, watch this, this is so important. People that already knew about him were following him so that they could have more of him. And then when they couldn't have more of him, they got upset because he was so laser focused on Zacchaeus because he was lost. So I, I, I love you guys. We'll hang out in heaven. I'm not here for you. I'm here to get the lost. And he goes and finds them. So I've got two quick things to say. Number one, 
you and I have such a huge responsibility to headhunt, to look for people in our life and get them in a relationship with Him. That, that is not optional. We have got to do that because that is most important. All week this past week, I'm thinking, who am I going to bring? Who am I going to bring? For the last, I don't know what God has done in my heart. For those of you that have been a part of our church for a couple years, it, never, I, never before have I preached for four weeks on the same thought. I can't get rid of this thing. There are people that have got to have Jesus in their life. And the way the Lord set it up was with churches. But let me ask you this question. Before we go out and we look for people who might be lost... Are you that person? Are, are you the person that feels lost? I know we all have our Sunday clothes on and everything else, but let's, let's, let's be honest. Let's be transparent. Are you that person where everything just feels chaotic and crazy and lost and you've come here this morning to say Jesus I need you are you the person that says hey somebody else might be nose blind but I, I'm not I, I know exactly what my situation is and my situation is Jesus I need some help are, are you that person 